On the last, complicit. They did Baker Actor from June 1st until June 8th. I believe there's an antipsychotic in a pharmacy waiting for Lauren. I read the note. I have the note. I have pictures of it. She didn't say that. It wasn't really a suicide note. You know, she was on doctor-prescribed medication. I think that Lauren was fighting like hell to live. You know, she wanted to be happy. Friends and family are still searching for this missing Cape Coral woman. It's now been three months since she was last seen. Today, family and friends hit the streets for a bike ride to keep Lauren's name out there. Motorcycles, shirts, and tears to help find Cape Coral's missing mom, Lauren DeMolo. Where is Lauren DeMolo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth. And I'm Caitlin Boddy. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 16. We Ride for Lauren. Now we've told you everything we know about the events leading up to the day Lauren disappeared. There was quite a bit that had been going on in Lauren's life. And while everything does seem to hover as relevant to her disappearance, there was no definitive proof that any of it was related. The police were still tracking down leads, still investigating evidence, but they still had no answers. We'll now pick the story back up from where we left off in episode three. To recap where we left off a bit, Gabby had just given his second news interview, and in it, he told the reporter that he believed Lauren had been out searching for a new apartment. He said that maybe someone had taken advantage of that and something happened. And alongside Gabby mentioning an apartment search, the same maintenance man who told police that he had seen Lauren the morning of Friday, June 19th, also told police that Lauren had approached him earlier the previous afternoon on June 18th to ask him if he knew about any available apartments because she had to get out of a bad situation. In the meantime, Paul, Cassie, and Lindsay had continued their own searches, continued doing news interviews, continued to get Lauren's name out to the public, And it did help garner more attention. By now, national news coverage had taken hold, and Lauren's story was plastered across Dateline, Oxygen Network, People Magazine. John Walsh and even Dr. Oz wanted to talk. But on the ground, Lauren's case seemed to be growing colder by the day. Lauren's angels, though, were just getting started, and they were about to turn up the heat. Danny and her core group of searchers weren't giving up, and they had an idea to make Lauren's story more personal to the community, to physically bring people together and get them involved and interested in Lauren. They began organizing what was to become the first of many community-driven events to keep Lauren's name and face shining bright in the area, loud and clear. The event was called We Ride for Lauren. Its goal was not only to raise awareness, but also to raise funds, and was set for Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, 
which would be three and a half months since Lauren disappeared. The kickoff for the event was to be a motorcycle ride through the streets of Cape Coral and all the noise and hoopla surrounding that. Paul is a big biker, a Harley guy, and this ride for Lauren was his way of fueling awareness, literally through the streets. It would end at a local restaurant and be a family fun day for all. We were going to have silent auctions. We had music, dunk tank, face painting, bounce house, a photo picture booth, just a lot of things. So it would be family oriented and it was to keep the community involved and raise some money. Danny reached out to me and we jumped all over it. I love giving back to the community. I know my partners do as well. We do Thanksgiving giveaways and we give away meals to, to families that are in need. So, you know, anytime there's a disaster in Florida, we always jump in to try to just help out as much as we can. So when it came to this, it was like, all right, let's rock. That's Jason. He's the owner of Big Ten Tavern, where the main event was to be held. Jason and his team went to work helping to plan and support the event. Everyone was in planning mode, excited, eager, a new bout of energy ignited within them, a new approach to finding Lauren. But right in the midst of the event planning, the family was hit with another unforeseen situation. On the evening of September 14th, 2020, Lauren's mom, Anne, was admitted to the hospital under dire circumstances. You may be wondering, what does this have to do with Lauren? Well, as you will learn through this episode, maybe quite a bit. Anne had been found incoherent on the floor of her bathroom. Aunt Sue described what happened. Jeffrey went to go get ready for work, but he couldn't because his mom was in the bathroom. There's two bathrooms. There's the bathroom, and that's part of the master bedroom. And then there is the common bathroom. My sister was in the common bathroom. Victor was the last person to see my sister in the morning. So he, I imagine, went in the bathroom, kissed her goodbye, said, have a good day. That's what I understand there. So they had left for work. Remember, Victor and Jeffrey work for the same company, and they both live in the apartment. So far, this seemed like a relatively normal morning to Jeffrey. No cause for alarm. But later that evening, there would be panic. Jeffrey had come home from work ahead of Victor and had walked in, went to go into the bathroom, and the bathroom door was locked. So banged on it, mom, mom, no response. Kept banging on it, mom, mom, no response. Lindsay remembers the panicked call from her brother, Jeffrey. Jeffrey called me and said, oh my God, there's something wrong with mom. He tried to get into the bathroom a few times, but it was locked. And then he just kept knocking. So he kicked the door in. And when he kicked the door in, he found his mom laying on the floor in a fetal position, not very coherent. So he called 911. Anne had been in that bathroom since Jeffrey and Victor had left for work that morning, which was about nine hours earlier. And the bathroom door had been unlocked at the time. When Jeffrey found his mom, 
Anne's arms and legs had turned blue. The ambulance arrived within minutes and took her to the hospital. She was in and out of consciousness. She was very sick. And they determined that she had a urinary tract infection that had gone septic. She was moved into ICU immediately. I had gone to see her and she was more conscious, but she was living in the past. She recognized me, which was great. But she also, my parents are deceased. And she really thought my parents were coming up to visit her. She recognized Jeffrey. She knew she was in the hospital. She doesn't remember being in the bathroom. Jeffrey, who was understandably shaken from what had happened, also stayed by his mom's side and was trying to get her to recall what had happened that day. In doing so, Anne said something that surprised Jeffrey, made his ears perk up. Jeffrey was talking to his mom, talking about the day that she had passed out on the floor and she had said that she was okay, that she was with Lauren. And he had said, how could you be with Lauren? He goes, you know Lauren's missing, Mom. And she said, yes, I know, I was with Lauren. And he said, but how could you be with Lauren? And he said, do you know where Lauren is? Do you know what happened? And she said, Michael. And he said, who's Michael? Like, who's Michael, Mom? Jeffrey didn't know if this was the illness, the living in the past confusion, or the truth. He tried to press her for more information. But my sister was, again, she was in and out of being coherent and making sense. And he kept trying to talk to her about Michael after that. And she just didn't remember anything. There was nothing. So then I had tried to bring up Michael different times and I got nothing from her. Jeffrey and Aunt Sue asked everyone who they thought Michael could be. They looked through Lauren's friends on Facebook, checked in with her friends, but one named Michael rang a bell. Paul had been talking to a lot of people behind the scenes, people who would talk to him but not talk to law enforcement. Nobody knows who this guy Mike is, right? Actually, I have an idea who Michael might be now. I do have an idea who Michael is. Anne was being monitored in the hospital, and though the infection had cleared, her prognosis was not looking good. She was becoming more agitated and had to be given medicine to calm down. I had heard from a nurse. She had gotten anxious a couple of times when Victor was there, and I didn't know why. Aunt Sue was then told that alcohol consumption was a contributing factor to Anne ending up in her current situation. My sister didn't leave her apartment. Alcohol was brought to her. And at this point, she was so sick, and a lot of it had to do with alcohol. And I was so upset over that. And I was blaming Victor for giving her and putting her in this position, you know, not watching her. After learning that long-term alcohol consumption had played a role in landing her sister in the hospital, 
coupled with the news the nurse had told her about Anne becoming agitated when Victor visited, she decided to limit visitors to immediate family only, which excluded Victor, since they were not technically married. And the hospital agreed. Anne's condition, though now worsened more by the onset of pneumonia, had been somewhat stabilized, and the family could now bring part of their attention back to Lauren. On Saturday, October 3rd, the first annual We Ride for Lauren event kicked off, and it was the talk of the town. Wink News was all over the event, broadcasting live. And today, friends and family have organized a special ride event in hopes of getting answers and where Lauren DeMolo is. Now, the ride will begin here at Big Ten Tavern in Cape Coral. Today, they're hoping to get some more answers with the Ride for Lauren event at the Big Ten Tavern starting at 9.30. Paul was especially geared up for the motorcycle ride. He had a custom motorcycle jacket made with Lauren's face on the back and... The words, We Ride for Lauren, encircled around her portrait. The We Ride for Lauren event was huge. Paul's a motorcycle rider, so that helped a lot because they wanted to support their fellow, you know, bike rider. Signs with Lauren's missing poster were displayed in almost every yard by now, which fueled the purpose for the riders along the way. The Cape Coral Police Department even closed streets for the ride and posted officers along the way so the bikers would have a clear path. Lauren had literally stopped traffic. The community embraced the family and Lauren's story as if it were their own. We ended up reaching out to as many people as we could to get as many donations as we could to get as much money as we could. We cooked all the food for them. We did a ton of the different raffles and got them quite a bit more sponsorship to be able to get them cool stuff. We did a really nice video. We did it really for their family more than anything because, you know, nice remembrance for her. You can find that video on our website at complicit-podcast.com if you're interested. There were probably a good couple hundred people. We, we, we raised about six grand. It was really great. It was really positive. And then we had a nice vigil and played her song. The family spoke. It was very emotional. Lauren's song is I'm Coming Home by Skylar Gray. While the We Ride for Lauren event was in full swing, emotions high, hope in the air, Anne laid in her hospital bed, her health slowly worsening. Remember that visitor access was limited to immediate family only. But while the family was distracted at the event, someone took advantage. Somehow, someone got into Anne's room. Somehow, some way, somebody got in. A female got in, posed as Lindsay. I don't know how. The woman posed as Lindsay, went in, even said to the nurse that she was her daughter. So some woman was there with my sister on the day of the ride for Lauren. 
By this point, Anne was very sick and incoherent most of the time, so Aunt Sue was never able to learn directly from her sister who the mysterious woman was, nor the intent for her visit. And the hospital staff couldn't recall much either. The thing is, at that hospital, there were two women that would sit there. And if those two women were busy doing something, you could just walk right past. And the nurses upstairs, if there was not a nurse sitting there, you could just walk right in. Paul was concerned. For him, this was too close to home. Again. I told Sue, we need to go to the detectives or whatever and get the video on who was in there. And she said, well, I called them. They said they have no video. I said, that's bullshit. There's video on every single floor. And they said they didn't know. Nobody signed in, nothing. And they lied. The hospital lied. So I'm telling you, whoever is doing this knows a lot of people. Anne's health was in rapid decline, and she had started refusing to eat or take her oral medications. Because of this, she was slated to get a feeding tube put in that Monday, following the We Ride for Lauren event. Aunt Sue and Jeffrey were planning to be there for the procedure. But while they were en route to the hospital, a nurse called to tell them that Anne had developed a fever. So I said, can you do me a favor? I said, can you please run a COVID test on her? And yes, Anne tested positive. Since none of Anne's family nor the nurses on Anne's floor had tested positive for COVID, Aunt Sue suspected that the mystery woman who had entered her sister's room was, knowingly or not, the source. But of course, there was no way to know for sure. And without the hospital surveillance footage or the police opening an investigation, contact tracing was impossible. Anne was on a downward trajectory health-wise, but in the end, it was contracting COVID, her weak body unable to fight that virus, that ultimately caused her death on October 15th, 2020. She passed away two days after her 60th birthday, and I was able to hold her hand and say goodbye to her. I told her, I promised her that I would forever be here for her kids and her grandbabies. I would make sure that they remembered her and that I will never stop looking for Lauren and that I'll bring Lauren home and that I loved her. Chapter 17, The Maintenance Man So much had happened so quickly with Anne. Why was she on the bathroom floor in the first place? And did this have anything to do with Lauren? I called up to Cape Cod Police Department and said, I think you need to go and see what the hell's going on because something's wrong here. Because when you guys talked to her not too long ago, she was nowhere near death. To the family's knowledge, Anne's death was not considered suspicious and was not being investigated as such. But Aunt Sue and Paul had been quietly investigating on their own since the beginning of Anne's ordeal, and pretty quickly, they discovered that someone else had been in Anne and Victor's apartment the day she was found. Someone saw her, unresponsive, in the bathroom. Someone locked the bathroom door and didn't call for help. 
And that someone was the very same person who claimed to be the last person to see Lauren alive. The day that she went into the hospital, I called a few of my friends down in Florida. And I said, listen, tomorrow I want you to go to the house and see if either Jeffrey or Victor are there and find out what happened. So two of my friends went there. And the maintenance guy was walking in. Yes, we do know his name, but we are unable to share it at the moment, since he's still technically an anonymous source for the police. Paul's friends had bumped into the maintenance man as he was leaving Victor and Anne's apartment, and they stopped him to have a chat. He told them he was there to fix a leak in the ceiling. They asked him about Anne, if he had heard anything. He said, oh, I was here yesterday before she was taken to the hospital. We were like, you were here? Yeah, I was working in the house fixing a leak. As a matter of fact, I was in that room and I didn't even know she was home. The maintenance man continued to relay what happened the previous day. So he said, yeah, I went, I went and I had to go to the bathroom, so I used the bathroom. And when I opened the door, she was sitting on the toilet. He said her head was down, her hands were in her lap, and she was unresponsive. So I asked her if she was okay, didn't respond, thought she was praying, locked the bathroom door, and I left. According to Paul's friends, the maintenance man saw Anne in an unresponsive state and locked the door. Aunt Sue had gone to her sister's apartment while she was in the hospital and found a handwritten note that was left by this same maintenance man. I have his note that says he would be back to fix the ceiling. She told the rest of the family about the note. Matt called the apartment building's management company to find out more. I did call the company that owns the building and they asked them if there was a worker that day. They said no. I asked them, is that common practice for your maintenance men to go into apartments without a work order? They said, absolutely not. So I don't know why he was in there. He shouldn't have been in the apartment. Aunt Sue followed up with the company in person. She wanted to talk to the maintenance man herself. After being gently excused from the office by the manager, she decided she'd have better luck driving around to the back of the building. She waited there to see if the maintenance man would use that entryway. And that's how I found him was when I waited in the back and I confronted him. And first he thought I wanted to talk to him about Lauren, which I thought was very strange. That's the first name he said to me. She asked him about being in the apartment the day her sister was found in the bathroom. And he tried to deny he was there. And I said, you can't deny you were there. I said, I have your note that you wrote. After he did recall being in the apartment, Aunt Sue pressed on. And then when I said to him, why wouldn't you call a paramedic? He did not know what to say. And then I said, better yet, why don't you call Victor? And he goes, Victor, acting like he doesn't know who Victor is. He knows who Victor is. Meanwhile, Danny was, at this point, very involved in Lauren's case. So much so that she was even given access to speak with Detective Jones on behalf of Paul since she was a local and he was back and forth between Cape Coral and California. She had a meeting with Detective Jones while Anne was still in the hospital to get an update on Lauren's case. When I spoke to Detective Jones during that meeting, he said, you know, we just want to know a lot of things like what was Lauren wearing that day? Since the police station was relatively close to Anne and Victor's apartment, Danny decided that after her meeting with Detective Jones, she would see if Victor was home to talk to him more about Anne's situation 
and see if he recalled anything more about Lauren that would be helpful to the case. When I went to the apartment, there was a man who had just shut the door and I said, hey, is Victor there? And he just turned around super fast and he introduced himself as the maintenance man. Danny knew who he was. Danny then asked him if he knew anything about Anne, and he responded with the same account he had given Paul's friends of what happened that day. But then he continued. He said to me, it's crazy. I was the last person to have seen her. He said he didn't really know the tenants or Gabby. He just knew them by face because he fixed things at the apartment. With Detective Jones' question in mind, Danny asked him if he remembered what Lauren was wearing when he saw her back on June 19th. He then said she was wearing the same maroon shirt that was found in the park with a white bathing suit cover-up over it and was wearing shorts. He said that she had the same purse that was found in the park on her shoulder He said he thought it was weird that Lauren was swimming in the morning because she typically swam in the afternoon. He knew Lauren because she swam at the pool and saw her. Danny passed along the information she learned to Detective Jones. Paul, Aunt Sue, Cassie, Lindsay, Matt, Danny, they couldn't get past the coincidence of the maintenance man being the last person to see Lauren and the person who saw Anne in the bathroom on her final day in her apartment. They started looking into his past a bit more, and they found an interesting connection between this maintenance man and Gabby. They both had lived in Wincene, Wisconsin, and they lived within 12 miles of each other. Remember, when Paul had looked up Gabby's records, he found he lived in and had court records in Racine, Wisconsin. Paul couldn't get over the coincidence of it all. There was no work order for that. He never was supposed to be there. I don't know, another coincidence? Is it another coincidence? That same guy is the last one to see my daughter? You know, that day when supposedly she was walking home at 8.15 in the morning? The same guy lived 12 miles away from Gabby in Wisconsin? Maybe they knew each other, maybe they didn't, but they both ended up in Cape Coral. They're both involved in a missing persons report. The maintenance man, Michael, more paths the case could take. I mean, you got so many people. You got so many mixed up scenarios. But so far, none had led them to Lauren on the next Complicit. An innocuous event suddenly seems suspect. I think everything's questionable. Everyone is questionable. Everyone is a suspect. The evidence doesn't support the account. I said, let me ask you a question. Where is that video? No answer. The family wants access to the case file. We've asked to see the videos. They will not let us see it. Their determination intensifies. Somebody out there does know something and will come forward. And we will find Lauren and we will bring Lauren home. But where is Lauren DeMolo? Hey. 
Hey, Complicitors, if you're following along with us as we release episodes weekly, you'll notice there won't be one this coming Monday. That's because we need a bit more time to follow some information related to Lauren's case and get our sources on record. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com slash tips. Or you can text a tip to crimes. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously. And there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, on Twitter at Complicit underscore pod, and on Instagram at Complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of 7th Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.